Welcome to this podcast from St. Michael and All Angels Episcopal Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope you consider hitting like or subscribe. We hope you will share this audio with your friends and neighbors. Help others know about our inclusive, theologically progressive community of faith. If you'd like to support our ministries, you can make a gift at stmichaelsabq.org. In the name of our loving, life-giving, liberating God. Amen. Please be seated. And today, we mark the start of a season in the life of the church, the season of Epiphany, and, and we're on a weekend that is a bit of a hinge point. You know, it's, it's not just laziness that has our Christmas trees still up here, <laughs> uh, though our fire insurance might like us to take them down soon. There is a hinge point going on in the life of the church. Yesterday was the feast proper, the feast epiphany, the day when we celebrate the coming of the wise ones, the magi who followed the star and found an unexpected king. And what starts out with star following continues in the weeks that follow. Sometimes I think we, we miss this little season of epiphany, this time between Christmas and Lent. And I think we do so at our peril. We could use some epiphany in our lives. There's this wonderful poem, I'm not going to read it to all of you, but by the mystic and theologian Howard Thurman, one of Dr. King's mentors, where he talks about the work of Christmas. He says, after the shepherds have all gone home, after the angels have returned to the heaven, after all the glory and praise, that is when the work of Christmas begins. And so I'm glad to have you all here. I'm glad that we are marking the start of this season, and I'm really glad that we've got Entourage Jazz with us for this. Yeah. Because we're not just wrapping up something. This is a moment of beginning. I love that our first lesson today, it, it starts out in the beginning. We're at the very first words of Genesis. We read those first lines, and, and I also love, and it, it got both of our readers today, and it just, I love that. I love that the reading stops where it does. You expect it to go on. It's, it's not often that we just read the first day. Only in Epiphany do we pause to consider the light that has come into the world. Only in Epiphany do we pause and we don't move on to the plants and the animals and the people and all our messes. Not yet. We pause as God sees that the light is good. Goodness is there from the start. We don't have to drag it into creation. God sees that the light is good. And so today we're marking actually the second feast of the Epiphany, another feast of the church, the baptism of Jesus. And today's a fitting day after the sermon we'll remember our baptismal promises. Today I want to propose to you that baptism, like most things in faith, is a little more complicated than it may seem at first glance. Baptism has depths. Baptism has more than one dimension. And this morning, I'm going to touch on just two seemingly conflicting themes with baptism, two truths about baptism that are true simultaneously, though they may seem to be in tension. Here are the dimensions. Baptism is a comfort, and at the same time, 
baptism is a challenge. First, some words of comfort. Many of you know I was fortunate to start my ministry at the historic St. John's Church in Washington, D.C., this beautiful historic church near the White House. And my former rector, the Reverend Dr. Luis Leone, had this standing joke that he wished he could have convinced the vestry to allow him to alter the beautiful dome on that church. Now, you have to know that dome was created by Benjamin Henry Latrobe, the first great American architect, the architect of the U.S. Capitol. And Luis joked that he wanted the vestry to let him change it, right? Uh, and he said he wanted to make the dome less like the Capitol dome and more like the dome on the Dallas Cowboys Stadium. <laughs> Retractable. So if he'd been able to raise the money, and he would do this joke regularly, and get permission, he said he also wanted to add a holographic projector to the church, say with me, so that every time someone was baptized, as the water was dripping down their forehead, the dome would open, and a dove would come down, and a voice would come over the loudspeaker saying, you are my beloved child, in you I am well pleased. And Louis lamented he couldn't get the vestry or the historical society's approval for his plans. But my former rector joked about the dome because these words of Jesus, the words that he hears at his baptism, they are the words that each and every baptized person should hear. They are the truth named for each and every person in humanity, named by the sacrament. You are my beloved child. In you I am well pleased. Those are God's words about every single person. And Jesus' baptism is his coming out party, his initial public offering. And just yesterday at the Epiphany, remember, Jesus is just a baby being chased by the Magi, right? We've jumped forward. Almost none of the Gospels covers what happens in between the birth of Jesus and his baptism. The baptism is regarded as the beginning of his public life, the beginning of the ministry. But notice God's words then come before Jesus does anything, before he heals, before he teaches, before any of the work. God loves him. God is well pleased. There's a reason in this tradition we baptize little infants. Grace isn't merited. You don't earn God's love. It's true for all of us. You start out as God's beloved. You start out well-pleasing to God. Nothing you can do can earn another ounce of God's love. Likewise, nothing that you can do can alienate you from God's love. Nothing you can do, nowhere you have been, can negate God's love. You are God's beloved from the start. Take comfort, baptism reminds us. Baptism marks this sacred reality, this fundamental reality about each of us. There's a reason that so many grandmothers get anxious about getting their grandkids baptized. Because baptism is meaningful. Baptism marks a deep and lasting truth. As a priest, I can't tell you what a privilege it is to speak the words of God's love to folks who are being baptized. To say you are marked as Christ's own forever. And JP and Mandy can tell you too, baptisms are among the best parts of this job. 
And the next time you're here for a baptism, listen to the words that the priest says. You are Christ's own forever. You are loved forever. Your children, your parents, your grandparents, your aunts and uncles and nibblings and chosen family too, we are part of a community beloved by God forever. So take comfort. Take comfort and, and know simultaneously there's a complicating truth about baptism. Baptism is a challenge. The challenge of baptism arises because our world outside these church walls is such a mess. We live in times of deep division. We live in days when folks are intentionally dividing one from another. If God's love for you, for me, comes as a comforting truth, then something else is perhaps uncomfortably true. God loves every person. Every person. Even the people with whom we disagree. Baptism challenges us to witness the truth of God's indiscriminate love in a world full of discrimination. Baptism challenges us to witness to God's unconditional love in a world that can be very conditional. Baptism is about naming. Naming the sacred reality of each person, the belovedness of each person, and the names we choose matter. What we choose to call one another matters. We know this at St. Michael's. We have regular guests just down the hall in our landing ministry who are petitioning for a particular name, asylum seeker. And what we call our visitors from lands far away, it's a question that has become deeply politicized, used to divide. Lately, the largest number of our guests have been young men fleeing violence in their home country, their death threats in their home country of Venezuela. And each and every one of them has been through what has been called a credible fear interview. Our government tries to determine if they are in real danger at home, and so they can be called asylum seekers. If they're granted this name, it comes with legal status defined by federal laws and treaties. So what's in a name matters. The name asylum seeker is being politicized right now by folks asking for your vote in 2024. There are proposals to limit how many people can be named asylum seekers. And many of the politicians use other names for our guests here. They call them illegal, aliens, and worse. The names that we choose matter. Often names are chosen to muster fear because fear is a powerful motivator for votes. It's just one example this season, just one. Because what we call each other matters. Baptism challenges us to see our fellow human beings and to name each and every one first God's beloved Baptism challenges us to proclaim this truth not only with our lips but in our lives. When you next hear someone called an ugly name, 
when you next find yourself witness to the degradation of one of God's beloved, when you next notice how people of different sexual orientation or gender identity, skin color, ability, age, immigration status, or social class are treated by a neighbor or an election board or a law enforcement policy, will you remember your baptism? Will you remember the words of comfort spoken of you? You are God's beloved, that you are Christ's own forever. Especially if someone in our world, or especially if someone in the church, has called you a name meant to diminish, will you stand up, claim the name that God has for you? Remember that when God sees you, the name God calls you is my beloved child. No parent no neighbor, no so-called religious authority can take that away. You are God's beloved child. And will you remember that those words belong not just to you, but to all of us? Baptism is bigger than national identity. Will you accept the challenge of baptism? to build a community, to build a society, to build a world where no one is cast out. No one is named an ugly name for political convenience. No one is treated as anything less than the beloved child of God. Alongside the comfort, will you accept the challenge of baptism? There's a poet and a priest named Malcolm Geit, G-U-I-T-E, a sometimes fellow and chaplain at Cambridge University in the UK. Geit has written a collection of sonnets for the Epiphany season, including a poem for the baptism of Jesus. Geit writes about this moment where the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus and says, the voice that made the universe reveals the God in man who makes it new again. He calls us, too, to step into that river, to die and rise and live and love forever. God calls us to die, to die to all the ways our world teaches us to see our neighbor. Epiphany is a season all about light, all about sight. We may not have a retractable dome and a fancy hologram, but can we listen still for the words of God, for the voice of God still with us, still naming the belovedness of each and every one of us? As the work of Christmas begins in this epiphany season, will you follow that star? Will you look for light in all of the places our world calls darkness? In the weeks ahead, what new vision of yourself and others will you seek? Blessing in this season of light, this season of new vision, this season we call epiphany. Amen.